who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to none except Jews but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number that believed turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a large company was added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a large company of people. And in Antioch the disciples were for the first time called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. And the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brethren who lived in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Peace be to you, the reader. city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give, give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not, come, might not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks who worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came. They marveled that He was talking with a woman, but none said, What do you wish? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away to the city and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to Him. Meanwhile the disciples besought Him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought Him food? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, and to accomplish His work. Do you, do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes and see how the fields are already white for harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, 
so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Peace be to you who proclaims the gospel. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. In Psalm 42, we hear King David say, As a deer pants for the water brooks, so does my soul pant for the Lord, and my soul thirsts for the living God. In light of that, we have this beautiful uh, parable this morning, this teaching, this story of, of our Lord meeting a woman at a well. And when we look back and forth between that teaching, that story, and then also what I just quoted for you from Psalm 42, we have to recognize that King David was a very wealthy man. He had wisdom, he had knowledge, he had riches, he had art, he had really the world at his feet, he had everything. And yet a man who had everything says that my soul thirsts for the living God. In other words, all the things that he had did not quench his thirst. We know that if we're thirsty bodily, we drink something. Or when we're hungry, we we use food for fuel. But the things of this world can never satisfy the thirst that the soul has. Even though we attempt to many times satisfy that hunger and thirst with material things, with relationships, with all sorts of things, we still feel this emptiness. And so while we can have so many things and people around us, we can feel lost, We can feel void. We can feel confused. We don't have true joy and true peace. And that's because really this thing that the soul longs for is not anything that the world can give us. It's something that only Christ himself can give us. And these are the words that he offered to this woman at the well. She came just to draw some water. And he was thirsty in his human nature and he wanted to have some of this water. But when he approached her, he was very capable of asking or or of getting water himself. There was nothing that she needed to do for him, but this shows the love that God has for this woman, that he was really willing to humble himself to ask for this water, to ask for her assistance. In the same way he approaches each and every one of us, he always does so in order to restore our dignity. When we approach people oftentimes, or maybe even our loved ones, when we're trying to teach or correct or when we need something, sometimes we can do it in not so nice a way. We can be demanding, we can be harsh, we can be critical, we can even be very critical of ourselves at times. 
But if you ever watch how our Lord operates, He never does so in a, in a harsh way. He never wants to uh, harm the heart of another person. He's always trying to, to bring people to Himself, and the way that He does it is always through gentleness, and through kindness, and through patience, and through humility. This is the way that our Lord always approaches us. In fact, when, when St. Silouan saw the living Christ come out of the icon when He was in Vesper service, when He saw Him come out of the living icon, his knees, he fell to his knees, he buckled, not because of the power of Christ, or because of the sternness of Christ, or because of the word of God and the message and all of these things, but he fell to his knees and to his face because of the love of Christ, because of the extreme humility he saw in the face of Christ. And this is what we're called to imitate. This is the way to bring people to Christ, and this is the way that we should respond to Christ. Oftentimes we have this great sense of guilt that we're not doing enough, we're not praying long enough, or we're not praying good enough, or we're not doing enough things in the world. We, we, we're constantly judging and evaluating and criticizing ourselves. And we never give ourselves time just to sit and experience and receive really the mercy and love of God. And so if we're sort of functioning that way in a relationship with Christ, how do you think we're going to function in a relationship with the people around us? What we're doing to ourselves, we're going to do to other people. When we begin to experience Christ in in His loving, merciful, compassionate way, which is how He always approaches us, until we do that, we will never be able to approach other people in that same way. In our frustration, in our impatience, we become critical and we become harsh. Think about it, though. If I'm sitting there and I'm trying to work on a homework assignment with one of my children, if they're not getting it, then I can become impatient. And I can say things like, how come you can't get this? It's very simple. Look, this and this equals this. I don't get it. And we become very, you know, impatient about that. Now think about it. God looking down upon us, He says, it's very simple. Just love me. And, And love her. I, I, I can't. It's really hard. I mean, this and that. And he says, then I can't. He says, it's really simple. Just, why can't you do it? And so our Lord doesn't say, you know what? I'm so tired of you never getting this. I, I'm done teaching you. I'm done being patient with you. If you're not going to get it, then into the fire. But He's always patient. So we demand so much of others, yet at the same time, we, 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 we don't get the relationship that Christ is calling us to. He offers living water. And this living water is, 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 is something that is so unique and so misunderstood that I think most of us miss the boat when it comes to accepting it and to actually drinking from it. Something he said was very, very profound. And it really ties into this living water. And he says, My food is to do the will of my Father. Now think about that for a moment. My food is to do the will of my Father. Was he speaking about his biological food? No. My food is to do the will of my Father. In other words, what feeds me is to do the will of my Father. And I want to I stress this point. Maybe you can refer to it as a reframe or, or, or just look at it from a very different angle. When we want to feed our souls, the only way to do it is to do the will of God. And the will of God is very simple and very clear. To love Him 
with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbors ourselves. And in this, to be saved. Right? This is the will of God. He desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And we do it through love. Simple. Don't make it complicated, people. Don't add all sorts of things to this. The will of the Father is that all be saved. And the way that that we do the will of the Father is by feeding our soul on what He offers us. When I show patience to a person, I feed my soul. When I extend mercy to someone, I feed my soul. When I'm kind to somebody, I feed my soul. And what happens is, all of a sudden, I start to experience true joy and true love. I begin to experience the presence of Christ because I'm functioning and operating in the same way that He did when He was on earth, who said, learn from me for I'm meek and and humble of heart. When we begin to imitate Christ, we begin to feed our soul, and then this is is how we feel joy. And this is why, in, in 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 a... distorted way, in order to feel a sense of joy and happiness and purpose and value, we, uh, we try to associate ourselves with important people, we try to acquire certain things that make us feel good. I mean, my gosh, the most perfectly made latte, right? I mean, who can beat that when you sip it? It's just like, oh, perfect. And for a moment, we feel this joy. We feel really good, or food, or something that looks good on me in terms of clothing, or how it feels, or I purchased this new item, or whatever, and I have a sense, but it's so temporary, because all of a sudden, those things lose their value. This is what, we're, we're trying to feed our soul on the food of this world, and this is why we continually feel like we're starving and thirsting. But when we begin to see all of those things as just something that can be of service to me, but we put no other value on it than that, and we begin to see that really to do the will of God is going to be food for my soul. And when I begin to feast on that, I'm going to begin to feel true joy. And then it really won't matter in terms of all the things I may have, even my own health, because I'll see everything through that lens of Christ. I'll interpret everything in life now through that lens of joy in Christ. Because now I'm beginning to really feast. And this is why the disciples could leave everything and just go about and just preach and teach. They were doing the will of the Father. Because the most important thing was the salvation of souls. And they did it through love. And this is why they say, why we have nothing? We have everything. We have everything. Because that which was of greatest value was that precious pearl. And that is Christ. So this is the reframe. We need to look at when we extend mercy and kindness and gentleness, when we approach somebody with love, when we try our best to understand them, then we begin to, to feed the soul of the food that Christ is speaking of. This is, very, very, this is a very important part because we can get caught in this understanding that the Christian life is a duty that we have. And I'm supposed to do this, and I have to do this, and this would be the right thing to do. And all of a sudden it becomes more law, and more about right and wrong, and what I need to do. And we lose sight of the very fact of really what the essence is behind it. And I think this is what our Lord was trying to say to the woman at the well this morning. He says, I have this living water, and if you drink from it, you will never get thirsty again. And of course, in the beginning, she was confused because she thought that literally if she took a cup of water, she would never have to go to the well again and fetch water. But that's not what he was talking about. People, 
our Lord is offering us this same living water. We have the food of immortality in the Eucharist, but we also have all of these opportunities really to feed our soul in such a way that we will never hunger and thirst again. Even in the worst conditions that life can throw at us, we will have joy. Even in the most difficult relationships that we have in life, we will have peace because we will have been feeding on the food of Christ. And this is something that's offered to all of us. And this is what I pray that we begin to see this because this is the essence of Christianity. This is the essence of Christianity. And like I said last week, if you think this is impossible, I agree with you wholeheartedly it's impossible. But if you ask Christ to help you and you begin to work through Him, it's entirely possible. And that's how we will begin to experience that joy. That's how we will become the light set on the hill to the world that people will see. It's not how often we go to church. It's not how many prayers we say. It's not how many prostrations we do. It's not how many books we read. It's none of those things. But the love of Christ will dwell so deeply inside of us that it will radiate. And that's what will draw people to Christ. And that's how Christ drew this woman to himself. He did it through gentleness and kindness and humility. And he won her over. She became a disciple. The same thing with the woman caught up in adultery. He was gentle in his approach. He was kind. He was merciful. And he was loving. He was not critical. He was not judgmental. So don't be critical to yourself. And don't be critical to other people. You're wasting your time and you're burning up your, 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 your energy. Spend your energy on love. This is the message of Christ. This is the message of the gospel. All summed up in one word. But our Lord shows us how to do it. And we just need to begin to imitate Him. Amen.